Good morning, Jackson. It's uh, it's great to be here this morning. My name is Troy, and uh, I want to welcome you to our gathering this morning as we are a family of followers helping others follow Jesus. Um, so I want to start to this morning by setting a scene for you. So track with me, if you would. Little Corinne kneeled on the couch, and she stretched her neck as far as she could to be as tall as possible as she looked out the window. The blue plaid 1990s vintage couch had its back pressed against the front window. And as she kneeled on it, she put her face as close as possible as she could to the window without putting her face prints on it, for she'd been scolded in the past by her mother for being greasy. With every breath that she exhaled, she could see the circle, and it would slowly evaporate. And she would do it again. The circle would appear, and it would evaporate. This was one of the ways she used to pass the time from her perch as she watched and she waited. In the window, she could also see her own reflection, and so she brushed a few stray hands from her eyes. And out of the corner of her eye, she noticed something down the road, coming up the road. It was a vehicle, a black compact pickup truck, not what she was looking for. Her father had a car. She didn't know exactly what kind of car it was, but it was red, and it was fast. So she ran out into the kitchen to see exactly what time it was. She looked up on the clock at the wall, but she was unable to tell yet exactly what the big hand and the little hand meant. And so she went over to the stove where she was told she just needs to see 500. That's when he was going to come. And she read the numbers 514. He was late again. But he would come this time. He might come. So from the kitchen, she heard a noise back outside that sounded like a car door slamming. She sprinted out of the kitchen, past the front room, past that blue plaid couch, and she grabbed the front door. It was locked, so she quick reached up and undid the deadbolt, opened the door open, stepped outside, and looked, and she saw across the street there was a delivery driver who had shut his door. He was making his way to his neighbor's fr- the neighbor's front door with a brown package knocked on the door she watched as he waited no one came so he wrote a little slip put it on the on the window of the door turned back around took the package back to his truck and drove away she looked to make sure there was no other vehicles she went back into the house closed the door as she pulled it across the threshold behind her this time not locking it in case she would need to open it quickly again she crawled back up on her perch another car went by gray Another car went by, white. She walked this time back out to the kitchen to look again at the stove numbers. This time they read 518. Nonchalantly, she went back out to the couch, kneeled again, closed her eyes, and counted one, two, three, four, five, and opened her eyes, hoping that her reality would have changed. But the only reality that had changed was the squirrel was now skittering across the neighbor's driveway. Everything else was the same. And her eyes now transitioned again to what she could see in her reflection. And this time, she was focused on two braids that hung from the side of her head. She didn't like wearing braids, but they were her dad's favorite. She didn't like them because of the pain that it took to get her hair combed out. But it was part of the tradition now. Her mom would wait with her on the couch, braid her hair for her, because although her dad liked the braids, 
he wasn't able to do it for him himself. This time she turned slightly and looked at the braid that she held in her hand and studied it. Her mom was an expert. As she studied it, she did see something again out of the corner of her eye coming from up the road, from down the road, up the street. It was red, and it was coming fast. And her cheeks rose as her lips turned to a smile. But it lasted only for a second as the car drove past. It was not him again. She now looked down at the couch next to her. She had a bag that her mom had helped her pack. She opened the zipper up and started to dig around past her pajamas, past her slippers, past the raincoat and that feather thing that she'd wear around her neck for dress-up. And she found him, her favorite stuffed animal. He was a frog. She brought him out. He looked more like a toad because of all the pilledness that had, and just the grossness that had been slobbered on for all the years. But she loved him. He lost an eye, but she used some Velcro to recreate and restore his sight. She usually never put him in a bag, but in this specific case, it was really for transit because at one point in the past, she had dropped him, accidentally left him behind, and she was determined to never have that happen again. And so she grabbed that frog, and she held him tight. Turning now her back from the window, she slid down into the couch, put her head on the side of it, and her eyes began to well up with tears. He was not coming. When I say the word father... Every one of you here in this room has a different set of images, of memories, of experiences, of feelings and emotions that come to mind. For some of you, when I say the word father, when I say dad, there's some great things that come to your mind. There's There's some joy that comes to mind. When I say father, some of you may instead experience pain. When I say father, some of you may be apathetic. Some of you may be long for memories that you don't have when I say father. For some of you, when I say father or dad, you want to look to the left or right because he's sitting right there. Some of you don't because he's not. This morning, we are embarking on a series that we're calling Empowered. And what we're trying to do in this series is we're trying to, from Scripture, again understand the vision that we have to be a family of followers of Jesus, helping others follow Jesus. And what we've been doing this last summer, if you were here at all for summer, we, we went through the book of Acts, and we took whole chapters, big chunks of Scripture. But for this series, what, what I think God put on my heart was a very small chunk of text that I think lays out our vision for us in, in about four weeks. Now, I asked Ryan last week to set the stage for us where we look at, be, before even any of this, we have to ask, what is the engine? What's driving us? And that is the gospel itself. And so Ryan laid that groundwork. But what we're going to do for the next four weeks is we're going to go through this. And what, here's what we're going to find. We find the gospel is good news for eternity. The gospel is good news for every day, and the gospel is good news for everyone, and how that is woven through our mission statement. To do that, we're going to look at a letter that, that, that is written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Colossae, and the first thing they talk about is Father. Because if we're going to talk about family, we have to talk about the Father. So grab a Bible with me, and we're going to be on page 816 in the Bibles that you have, 816 would really encourage you to grab one of these because at some point I'm going to ask you to actually do a little reading of your own. Um, as you turn to Colossians chapter 1, give you a little context. I want to set the stage for you. Acts, or sorry, Colossians chapter 1, uh, the year is A.D. 60. A.D. 60. I have a picture um, of a map here. And 
We find the Mediterranean Sea here. You'll see Italy here. If you were to zoom in on this region right here, it's up here, you'll find there's a river called the Meander River that you follow down into the Mediterranean Sea, and above that is a place called Ephesus. The Apostle Paul, who wasn't always an apostle, was actually a guy who was trying to kill followers of Jesus, met Jesus, and he ended up going everywhere to share his testimony about what Jesus did, the good news of the gospel, to everybody. One of the places he went was Ephesus, and he spent three years there. What we know is that at some point in that time, there was a man named Epaphras. Can you say Epaphras? Okay, let's try it again. Can you say Epaphras? Okay, now, can you say Epaphras went to Ephesus? Okay, yeah, that's, that's what I thought. Okay, so let's not say that. But he did. He went down there and heard, and he heard the gospel from Paul. And his life was changed. And then Epaphras went back to Colossae and he told everyone about Jesus there. And a church formed, a family of faith formed there. And then Paul ended up writing to this. And the, the book that you have in front of you, Colossians, is that letter that Paul wrote. Now, he was in prison for his faith. And so his understudy, Timothy, was helping him write this, which is why we read in the greeting that it's written from both of them together. So let me pray, and then we'll dive in and see that one of the first things, the first thing they talk about is God the Father. Lord, I pray, Father, I ask that more than anything else I would say this morning, that the words that we read here from this letter would impact us deeply in our hearts, that you would show us that the gospel is good news for eternity in a new way this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm just going to start reading the first two verses, and then we'll read uh, three through six in a minute. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Now, I'm going to ask you to humor me for a minute. Could you just read on your own, whatever version of the scripture you have, can you just reread those two verses to yourself a couple times? And as you read those, I just want you to ask this question, what can I learn from these two verses about God? What can I learn about, these, about God from these two verses? Just read it to yourself a couple times again. Please do that for me. Okay. Hopefully you read it a few more times. What do you got? What do we learn about God from just these two verses? Yeah, we see our brother Timothy, we see the faithful brothers, right? And then we see God our Father. So there's definitely a family piece, Rick. Yep. What else? God, so God is relational, right? God has a will. Yeah, he does. So it's not just the force. Okay, God is a person who has a will. Yep. Personal God. What else? Anything else? So God is a God of grace, and God is a God of peace. So God can give grace and give peace. Yeah, great. What else? Anything else? That's kind of, that's kind of the gist of what we see from just these two verses. Now, what, what I want to hone in on here as we look at this is that God is a relational God. If you're going to understand God in a biblical sense, you have to understand him as relational. He is meant to be as close to us as a father is to his children. Now, I know that, again, based on your earthly experience with your, your earthly fathers, that may make this harder to swallow or easier to swallow, depending on your, your, your history and your experience. But God is Father. And not only is he Father, he writes that he's our Father. Paul and Timothy write he's our Father, which is actually a really big deal. And here's why this is a big deal. I want you to look in chapter 2, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1, Paul writes this. I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. You know what? Paul never went to Colossae. He never went. And what does he say? He writes, to the holy and faithful brothers. 
He's saying, hey, I'm writing to you as, as if you're my brother, even though you are actually strangers. I've never even met you, minus Epaphras who came to Ephesus. Okay, He's never met many of these, and yet he calls them brothers. As uh, Rick said, there's family language all over here. Timothy, our brother, the faithful brothers, God the Father. Now, if God is Father, that makes us what? So if God is Father, that makes us what? Children, makes us sons and daughters, right? It makes us then brothers and sisters if we share the same father. About a month ago, we were invited over to some friends' house. We met some new friends uh, through our kids, and we were having dinner with them. And as the kids were running around, we were talking, and we ended up finding out that we knew a lot of the same people in the, in the kind of the, the area. And so some of the different people would come up, and our kids would be like, oh, yeah, uncle so-and-so, he's hilarious. And like, oh, aunt, whatever, she's kind of, she's, she's cool. And then these, these friends of ours would be like, I didn't know you were related to them. Wow, you're, is it your brother? And I was like, well, yeah, actually, in, in, in the sense that we, we both have faith in Christ and then we're brothers in that sense. Now, I know that for them that was a little bit, okay, that's a little weird, and I know that if you might speak in those terms, you might find it culturally a little different and a little weird. But you know what? It's completely biblical. Anytime after you find the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when you see Jesus' disciples referred to in the Scriptures, they're referred to as either saints or brothers and sisters. That is the primary designator with which they are referred to as family, as brothers and sisters. Now, the question I was asking was like, okay, is this just a loose use of the word? Is this just like, hey, you know, we, uh, like, I, I, is it just a, a loose word? You know, my kids just went to Silverbrook. Uh, the, the, the twins are in Silverbrook this last week for the first time, and they're in these houses now. There's colors and houses, and it's like there's a thousand kids in that building. It's ridiculous. But anyway, um, they're, they're supposed to refer to the kids in their house as family. And they came back and told me, like, well, okay, I get what they're trying to do, but they're not really family. So are, are Paul and Timothy kind of using this term loosely? The answer is no, and the question is then why? How can they make these connections? To, to, to find this out, we have to finish out this text. And we're going to look at it in just a second here. Let's read it. <clears throat> Verse 3, we always thank God the Father, right? There he is again, God the Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. Okay? So how are we made brothers and sisters? How are we made children of God? The answer is in here. It's two words. You can't, I, I want you to just glean over it. I want you to help me see it. In verse 2, I want you to answer this question. What are the two words after the word brothers? If you could whisper it as, as, as quietly as possible, it would be helpful. What are, what are the two words after the word brothers? In Christ. In verse 4, help me out. Verse 4, uh, we have heard of your faith. What does it say? In Christ. So somehow, in being in Christ makes us sons and daughters of the Father. The common denominator is being in Christ. And there's this hope that springs up for them because of the result of what Jesus has done, this gospel they heard, that gospel that's come to them. When we talk about who we are, we have to start with the Father because the gospel is good news for eternity. Because no longer are we strangers to God or strangers to one another. Now, about a year ago, we introduced this mission statement. Okay, we, we introduced this about a year ago. And what we were wrestling through is we are saying, how, do we, how is the gospel itself, how is the message of Jesus actually woven throughout our mission statement? Because we're like, it's not explicit in there. and It doesn't necessarily have to be, but it's really important because it's the engine, as Ryan talked about last week. 
And so we, we tried to use some words a year ago, and they were, if you remember, if you were around for this, we talked about the gospel, our gospel position, our gospel posture, and our gospel purpose. If you remember that, you can forget that, because we don't like that anymore. Okay? No, here, here, here's why. It wasn't sticking. It wasn't like we want to create a way for us to be able to communicate this effectively. And so that wasn't communicating well. And so we went through and prayed about it more, and then Ryan came back with some more clarity on this. And the language that we, use now, we want to use now is that the gospel is good news for eternity, it's good news for every day, and it's good news for everyone. And how that is woven through our mission statement, we wanted to show you in a visual way. And so we made a video. And I want to show you the video for the first time uh, today. We take a look at that. At Kettlebrook, we strive to be a family of followers of Jesus, helping others follow Jesus. Our mission statement hits on three essential aspects of the good news of Jesus. Our eternal relationship with God the Father, our everyday submission to Jesus as our leader, and are being empowered by the Spirit to share the good news of Jesus with everyone. The good news of Jesus affects eternity. God created the heavens and the earth and humanity and declared humanity very good. Humanity was created in God's image and was intended to experience eternal relationship with God as our Father. His desire was for people to know Him and to then express His character to each other in the world. For a time, the relationships between God, man, and the world were perfect. But once sin entered man's heart, this changed everything and caused brokenness and division. The good news is that God didn't turn aside from humanity, but instead sent Jesus to us in order to restore our broken relationships. Jesus perfectly showed us God's character and sacrificed his own life for us on the cross. Through faith in Jesus Christ, relationship with God as Father is restored. The good news of Jesus allows us to be part of God's eternal family, adopted and restored as his sons and daughters, brothers and sisters. We are family. The good news of Jesus doesn't just affect eternity. It affects the everyday. God created us to reflect him, and by following Jesus and his example, we're able to do that. Every day we seek to increasingly submit our lives to Jesus as our leader, as husbands and wives, parents and kids, friends and family, employees and employers, as neighbors. Jesus even wants us to love our enemies. The good news of Jesus allows us to not only be a part of God's eternal family, but to show Jesus as our leader in all of life. We're followers of Jesus. The good news of Jesus affects eternity. It affects the everyday. And it is for everyone. God wants to have relationship with all people. To that end, we're a family of followers of Jesus so that we can help others follow Jesus. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit to share the good news of Jesus with others both locally and globally. God invites us to be part of his plans to restore relationships with himself, with each other, and with the world. When this happens, people become adopted, sons and daughters in God's eternal family. People become followers who increasingly submit their everyday lives to Jesus' as leader. People are empowered by the Holy Spirit to share the good news of Jesus with everyone. We are a family of followers of Jesus, helping others follow Jesus.
You like that? Trying to bring some clarity to who we are and being able to and do it in such a way that, that all of us could take and communicate that to one another and to others as well. And so this morning, just honing in on that first part, which is the eternity. The gospel is good news for us for eternity. Okay, Paul and Timothy right here, the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. Okay, so they would talk about heaven. You've already heard about this word of truth, the gospel that has come to you because it's good news because we're brought back to God's eternal family. But I, to, to explain how that works, I just want to back up, and I think Ryan did a little bit of this last week as well, but I just want to say this again. If you go all the way back to the beginning, God the Father created the heavens and the earth, and everything was good. He created humanity in his own image as his image bearers. If you're a parent in the room at all, you know kind of what this is like because you have little, you have children, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, look, they're kind of like, like me, 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 okay? Like I was kind of laughing because I was watching Kayla and Leah up here. I was like, oh, me, me, me. I mean, like you just watch them lead and go, oh, look at that. Isn't that cute? You know, as, as a parent, you can't, there's things that aren't cute too sometimes, right? As a parent, you're like, where'd you hear that from? Oh, yeah, it's me. It's me. But um, Adam and Eve were made to, to reflect God's image to the world. They walked with the Father. But then shortly thereafter, Pride, deception manifested in sin, and everything was shattered. The image was shattered. There was brokenness between the relationship with the Father. They were cast out of the garden, and they had turned away from their relationship with the Father. Now, because they were made in God's image, they were eternal. We, humanity, were made in God's image, and so we are eternal beings. And so when we turn away from the Father, that has eternal impact. And Paul and Timothy, or they use the word heaven here. We also have another word that has eternal impact, and it's called hell. Okay? Now, we don't talk about it all the time, but I think we need to talk about it. And when we talk about hell, hell's got this own, its own series of images that come to our mind when we hear this word, whatever movies you've seen, right? Tons of different images about hell. But here's one thing you need to understand about hell. Hell was not originally an eternal place where people would dwell. When Jesus referred to hell, he said that hell was an eternal fire that was prepared for the devil and his angels. In other words, it was meant for Satan, who had rebelled against God before the creation of the world. It's where, it's where Satan was cast. And when we talk about hell, we talk about hell as being a place of darkness. Why? Because it's outside the presence of God. God is light, and so you take God away, there's darkness. We talk about hell, we talk about a place that is a place of suffering. Why? Because if God is not there, that means that there is no peace. We talk about hell. We talk about a place of mourning because without God's presence, there's no joy and there's no hope. So when Adam and Eve turned from their relationship in the Father, there was, there was kind of the immediate impact of being cast out of the presence of God on, on earth. But there was also this eternal impact of being cast out from God's presence for eternity, which is a real mess. And I think we can experience for sure that first part saying, okay, we must be cast out of the garden because we experience the, the impact of this in our relationships. We can see it all over the world. We read the news. We know what our, what's in our own hearts. We see that. But, but <clears throat> the mess that we see, we don't just look out and say, look at that mess. We have to look inside as well and say we're part of that mess. And that mess comes from sin that is everything from murder to meth. And you're like, what did you say? I said Meh. Yeah. For those of you who don't speak emoji, I want to show you a picture of meh. Okay? Because when we think about sin, be honest, when you think about sin, you think about murder. You think about bad things that other people do. But you know what? Adam and Eve didn't commit murder in the garden. They committed meh towards God. They did. 
Because God said, here, here's everything. I'm going to give you everything. I'm going to give you authority over everything. I'm going to let you steward over everything. I'm going to give you proximity with me. Just don't eat from that one tree because it's going to have the, you're going to learn the knowledge of evil, and you do not want that, that you'll die. And so they looked. Adam and Eve looked at everything that, that was around them, and they, they, all that they've been given, and they're like, meh. And they ate. And I know this may sound crazy, but the posture of meh is as deadly as the posture of murder. So some of you here this morning, and you're like, Troy, I, I'm not, I mean, I'm not a murderer. Probably, we may not have a lot of murderers in the room, okay? And for a couple of reasons, honestly. One is that because uh, murderers may not care at all about God, or they may feel such shame about what they've done, they wouldn't come to a place like this and gather and worship. But I'm just saying, and, and Jesus says, hey, if you are angry with your brother or sister, you've committed murder against them. But, but here's, you, you may be like in a place, Troy, I'm actually a really good person, because you should know some of the people I know. They're horrible. I'm really good. But if you're honest with yourself, what you do experience is meh. Meh towards God. Because you know what we say when we say meh towards God? We're saying, God, we don't need you. We don't need you. You know, I, I think uh, sometimes we talk about having free will. And I don't know if I'm convinced about free will. Because I just feel like all of our thoughts and our heart are actually bent. They're, they're bent towards selfishness. They're bent towards self-centeredness. They're bent towards narcissism. So we can say we have free will, but in essence, it's like gravity. I mean, I can say I can jump, and I can, but gravity's going to keep bringing me down to some extent. So, so I like to make the case that we actually are born in a, in a state of meh towards God. Meh. And towards each other. And so when we say meh towards God, this, the impact is the same as murder. It's a separation from God. We say to God, yeah, I don't need you. And he says, okay, so be it. The impact is forever, though. And that's horrible news, by the way. I don't know if you, if you can connect those dots, being cast away from God's presence. But here's the good news. The good news is that there is a way back. Immediately after the curse that we brought upon ourselves, God began a rescue plan that he himself was going to implement and bring to completion, sending the perfect son, sending the next Adam who was going to do it perfectly, his son Jesus. And so that's why it says the hope that's stored up for them is in Christ, because it's us being in Christ instead of being in Adam. It's us identifying with Christ instead of identifying with Adam. And in Christ, our relationship with the Father is restored because Jesus, he actually, he reflected the image of God perfectly on our behalf. And then, he, you know what he did is he took, although he didn't, do, he didn't sin, he was sinless, he took all of our murder and all of our meh, and he went to the cross with it. And he received the justice and wrath that we deserve now and forevermore. He took that on our behalf. This is amazing good news. Now, the Colossians received this good news. Because Epaphras came and said, let me tell you guys this good news. And they received this, I want to be in Christ as well. And it impacted not only their eternity, it impacted their everyday. Look in verse 4, it says, Paul and Timothy heard, it says, of the love they had for all the brothers and sisters. Imagine that, having love for all the brothers and sisters who are in Christ. Be honest. You're like, that's hard. Some people are really hard to love. Right? Just be honest. Jesus said these words, though. He says, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. That's how you're going to know. 
That's how the world's going to know. So the good news of the gospel is good news for eternity, but it's also for every day. Now, I don't want to spoil it for whoever's preaching next week, but I want to steal a little bit. Spoiler alert. The good news is good news for every day, too, because of the impact it has in your relationships every single day. Paul says, hey, we pray for you all the time. Why? It's total strangers. This is the impact of the gospel and their hearts pouring out to people they've never met. And they are loving one another. And so if we are in Christ, then we are also called to be in family, in Christ-like family. And so I don't know what each of your own status is, but one of our desires in this mission is that we would be family. So I don't know what that looks like for you, but we want you to be part of a family in Christ. And that might look like a discipleship group or a small group or a missional community. I don't care what you call it, but it's that you'd be in Christ together with others, seeking to follow Jesus and help others who are not in Christ understand the good news of the gospel. Now, you might say to me, Troy, um, let me talk to you because I've had a bad experience doing that. And I would say, me too. You know why? This is sinners. It's just us sinners. Community is hard. Family is hard. Is your biological family perfect? Some of you are like, yeah, it is. I just know enough. I just know enough about our families, the stuff that's behind the curtain, if you would, behind the doors. So that's not the case. But here's the thing. Those families are not about those people, you or me. They're about the one who's at the center of those families, Jesus. It's about making much of him and watching what he can do in our midst as we are in Christ together. So hopefully if you are not part of a family, a smaller family, because this is not it. This is hard on a Sunday. But something more intimate, something where you can be yourself, somewhere you can be known and know others and express that love for one another in Christ. See, when we, whether we realize it or not, brothers and sisters, we all, to some extent, are like this little girl who's on the couch leaning out the window looking. There's a desire that we have to be reconnected with the Father because we were made in his image and we were made to be reconnected to him. But the illustration that I gave at the beginning is not quite right. It's not quite right. Because we don't have to sit there and wonder whether dad's going to show up or not. The last words we read, the gospel that has come to you. You're darn right it did, because he came. He came to us. Jesus came, and he didn't come 14 minutes late. He came. We're not the ones waiting. He's waiting for us. And at the cost of his own life, he came to restore us to the Father. This is the good news of the gospel for eternity and for every day and for everyone. Are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? And if so, are you also in then family in Christ? These, are, I think, are the challenges from this text. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the challenge of these words that we find that Paul and Timothy wrote. We confess, Father, to you that although we may have thought in our own minds that we, don't, we haven't committed murder, but we've certainly all been guilty of meh in this room. And that is a deception that says that we don't need you. When in our hearts, there is something underneath that, even further and deeper, that says we long to be in relationship and restored to you. Father, we thank you that you sent your son, that through him we can be restored to you. And I ask that as brothers and sisters in this room, that we would then, if that's the case, be in Christ and love one another as they wrote about here. 
that we'd be able to even love those who are difficult to love, that we'd recognize that we are difficult to love at times, but we'd see at the middle of all that the one who's loved us perfectly, the one who came for us, the one who does not cause us to wait, but waits for us. His name is Jesus. And to him we, we come. We pray this in his name.